and welcome back to Yes, That Actually Happened, the history podcast that features humanity's oddest moments, people, and events. We are Erin and Jay. Yay, I'm back. Glad you're back. Don't forget to give Jay's podcast, High School Author Wannabe, a listen, as well as their Twitch account that discusses and answers questions on the queer experience. Yeah, and that is um, at Jay is an astronaut. This week, we are featuring the history of modern surgery. Obviously, this is a very extensive topic, so we will go more into the odd parts, as well as just general background and the craziest moments. Oh my goodness, I'm very excited for this. I have some fun facts up my sleeve that I'm going to wait just in case you go over them. Uh, The definition of surgery is a branch of medical practice that treats injuries, diseases, and deformities by the physical removal, repair, or readjustment of organs and tissues, often involving cutting into the body. One of the first surgeries involved cutting a hole into a skull of a person by drilling or scraping. Mm -hmm. Ew, scraping? Yeah, like you chipping away the bone. (laughs) That seems like such a long process. Just get a hammer and like a nail and you'll figure it out. This was done to relieve pressure and treat a variety of illnesses. It was known as trephining or trepanation. I can't a lobotomy, even, kind of. Not really, because I guess like, lobotomy they is when they mess they're, up the and they're no lobotomies are trying to get to the brain and mess up with that. Oh, that's just when they just drill a little hole for like air to escape. <laughs> or like I think about it, like back then, if you got a head injury, maybe like pressure relief or something like that. Headaches. It makes sense. For the time. Yes. And that is as nice as I'm going to get. I mean, I can't imagine the pain involved with, like, no pain relief and being awake as someone's just like, nah, 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 nah. Yeah, scraping? <laughs> oh, excuse me, sir. Let me scrape at your cranium. <laughs> That's horrible. I can't. I can't get over that. I'm going to be stuck on it the whole episode. <laughs> However, it was regularly more successful despite what you might think. There is evidence of numerous skulls that have healing after these types of surgeries. So, like, a lot of skulls that have, like, circles or partial circles that have clearly healed over. Yeah, I mean, I can see how it could get, how it could repair itself because the body is probably like, what are you doing? But, like, they do, do it count real- as successful if the problem isn't solved? Because I guarantee no one was like, yes, I'm better now with a hole in my head. I will point out that a lot of brain surgeries nowadays draw holes in people's heads. Yes, and then they do other things. They do the fixing part. They just did step one, and then it was like, that's it. So we're going to jump from tapping into your brain and skull into amputation. Yay! (laughs) Amputation first started in 1632. Treat gangrene, mm. and Wilhelm Fabry was the doctor to do so. Although amputation has been around for far longer than that, it was yeah. reintroduced in 1530 by a French surgeon. It became mm. more widespread. So it's P.S. Don't dig into anything gangrene related unless you don't want to eat for a while. Because I did a little bit of side research for you in case you had any weird facts, and let me tell you, those photos were not pretty. I mean, isn't it just like mold eating away at your body? <laughs> It's, That's what it looks it, like. It looks like that, but it's, like, usually it's a bacteria. Yeah. Well, like... B- blood poisoning, essentially. Bacteria really? getting in there and killing everything. You know what? I give them four out of five stars for the amputation thing that they were doing. Because, you know what? Most of the time, they lived a little bit longer. <laughs> 
Before amputation was used in cases where it wasn't spread very far, maggots were used oh, okay. as early as 1028 to get rid of the dead flesh and dying tissue so the infection wouldn't spread and kill a person. And I think... Does that work? Yeah, because that's what they eat, is they eat dead flesh. So if, like, you had, like, a small thing of... They wouldn't eat your actual body, and they'd get rid of the infection. Oh. Ooh. Okay. Didn't know that one. It works. I mean, I don't know how fast or great the process would be back then, and obviously it depends on how far spread it already is, but... I guess in my head it would make it worse, because even though they're, like, eating at the dead stuff, like, it can't be sanitary for the rest of your leg, right? I don't want to say it was certainty because I didn't do exact research, but I think that they've used them in case certain cases when necessary nowadays. And I'm sure it's a little bit more sanitary. We're looking that up right now. Because I knew about, like, leeches and stuff. They put leeches on people to get rid of bad spirits from your blood. Also just to drain away blood. It's still flies. a thing. Ew. I would rather die. I would rather die. I would. If they're like, we can, this will keep you alive, is letting maggots eat it like your leg. I'd be like, nope. Someone buy me a gravestone? I can't do that. That's literally the worst thing I can think of. That's the worst thing that's you can think so of. That's so gross. I hate bugs. Out of everything we've ever talked about, that's the worst yes, thing. Yes. I can't do that. <laughs> mm <Mm-mm. laughs> So, moving on from that... I'm emotionally distraught. (laughs) Well, I won't say amputation was actually a step up from it, since many times the tools weren't sanitary like they are in today's standards. Oh, yeah. Especially, like, on the battlefields and stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. They're just like, there's a little bit of blood on here from the last guy. Ah, it's fine. Yeah, so it didn't... It could still cause infections and things, but it did at least somewhat help some patients from surviving things that they might not have before. Yeah. Bringing us back to our second episode, we have Dr. James Berry, who had been born Margaret Ann Bulkley. And if you remember back in that, took a persona of a man to attend medical school. Mm, right. Berry worked to create more sanitary conditions and a better diet for the soldiers that they treated. Mm-hmm. Berry was also the first European in Africa who performed the first recorded C-section where both patients survived. Right. This is relevant because C-sections were usually used as a last resort in history because it basically meant the death of the mother. Basically, it was a last resort. Both of them are going to die. Let's at least save the baby. Right. However, I will say... That at this time in Africa in the 1800s, C-sections were often performed successfully with the mother being given alcohol and herbs so they didn't feel the surgery and so they could heal well. So this was, Barry was the first recorded European successfully doing the surgery, but it's been done successfully in other countries before. Gotcha. Good to know. The first one took place in the United States in 1794 in what is now West Virginia by a Dr. Bennett on his wife. Hmm. Not nerve-wracking at all, trying to do surgery. Not perform juggling Ooh. on your wife. For your kid. Mm-hmm. But it was successful. I mean, yeah, everyone lived. C-sections are so weird. They, like, put all your organs in, like, bowls. And you're, like, awake for it. Like, you don't feel it, but you're awake for it. And there's just, like, a curtain separating you from that. I would want to see what's going on. 
I don't think you would. I'd be high out of my mind anyways. I was like, listen, if I got to be here, I want the full paid experience. So we better move that curtain. Put my organs in bowls. <laughs> this, this is the person who won't have maggots on the flesh. No, maggots are disgusting. Don't put bugs on me to eat my flesh. But if a, if a skilled doctor wants to put my intestines in a bowl while scooping out a baby, you know... just do what you gotta do i stand by what i've said today (laughs) john hunter is considered the father of modern surgery for how it is now he lived between 1728 and 1793 during this time he was instrumental in increasing the knowledge the medical community had of teeth bone growth and changes inflammation venereal diseases among other things his medical papers were even bought afterwards for use however it wasn't until really the late 1800s, that surgery, as we know, really came to be. Mm-hmm. Many firsts happened during this time. Remember that for later. Oh, okay. It was during this time in 1846 that ether was starting to be used as a mode of anesthesia to dull the pain versus, mm-hmm. like, alcohol or just not being dulled at all. Just have them all smoke a little weed. The first female surgeon in the United States was Mary Edwards Walker in 1855 after she graduated from school. She married another doctor named Miller, and they even had a practice together, but it was hard to bring in patients because of the stigma that she was, of course, a woman. Mm-hmm. Bonus fun fact, she is the only woman so far in history to receive a Presidential Medal of Honor, mm. which was from President Andrew Johnson. Interesting. She was a surgeon in the Civil War and was a prisoner of war as a suspected spy for four months. Oh, shit. There is a bronze statue of her in her hometown that was unveiled in 2012. Cute. David Jones Peck was the first African-American to graduate from medical school in the United States in 1847. Unfortunately, he died eight years later from getting caught in a skirmish in Nicaragua during the filibuster war. Shit. And unfortunately, there's no known photographs of him. Yeah. Now, for the legal parts of the history of modern surgery, <laughs> have you ho- heard of the Code of Hammurabi? Mm-mm. I don't think so. Uh, they were Babylon laws created by the king Hammurabi. It's a term where eye for an eye came from. The idea of a lot of the laws, like if you did something to someone, you would get oh, that in return. Okay. Not always exact, Yeah. but that kind of idea. They did have some based on physicians. Number 215, if a physician make a large incision with an operating knife and cure it, or if he opened a tumor over the eye with an operating knife and saves the eye, he shall receive 10 shekels in money. (laughs) In contrast, 218, if a physician make a large incision with an operating knife and kill him, or open a tumor with an operating knife and cut out the eye, his hands shall be cut off. Oh, wow. All right, well... High stakes, apparently. (laughs) Careful with that. (laughs) Don't kill the patient. You might lose your hands. And then, I guess, also your livelihood. Yeah. (laughs) And honestly, given the time, you could die from that, probably. (laughs) That's not sanitary. It's not sanitary. (laughs) Or you killed him. Guess what? This knife will not be cleaned. While things have shifted since the notion of liability of surgery is still there, Mm -hmm. hospitals often have lawyers in cases situations where there's neglect. For example, Dr. May Thorne in June 1904 was tried for supposedly leaving a sponge inside her patient, Miss Bry, when she was removing a large abscess on Brian's uterus and fallopian tubes. That still happens. I know. 
Why do you, don't leave things in the body? That seems like a yes, because I'm sure they're doing that on purpose. I don't understand how you could lose something. I really don't. In the heat of the moment, haven't you ever watched Grey's Anatomy? Things go on. You just gotta save the patient's life. But if there are scissors left in me... I don't actually watch Grey's Anatomy. I've never seen it. But that seems like bullshit. There's like 20 people in an operating room. The medical malpractice law in the United States, I guess, came from English common law. (laughs) The injured patient must show that the physician acted in negligence in rendering a case and that such negligence resulted in injury. Mm. To do so, four legal elements must be proven of professional duty owed to the patient, breach of such duty, injury caused by the breach, and resulting damages. Money damages, if rewarded, are typically taken into account both economic loss and non-economic loss, such as pain and suffering. Hmm. It wasn't until around this time in the 1900s that it shifted to be more likely that a person will survive surgery. By the way, (laughs) fun fact. I wonder why. (laughs) I can't imagine how terrifying it'd be to have to have surgery and not know if you're going to survive it. I mean, sur- surgery today is still like has its risks and it's ma- much slimmer and so much safer and sanitary. And instead of just like, "Hey, drink this bottle of vodka. We're going to cock off your foot now. Have some vodka. Get the maggots. <laughs> Here is my filthy saw. <laughs> oh." Oops, cut off the wrong leg. Guess we gotta take off the other one. Speaking of risks, obviously over the years things have changed in terms of education for doctors who do surgeries. Things have come a long way since we did (laughs) drilling holes in the head. At the same time as the Civil War, in order to get a degree, you apprenticed with a physician and took some courses at medical college. Like, super easy to become a doctor. That's horrendous. Which means by being in action and needing to complete life-saving surgery during the Civil War, they might have not had any hands-on training or experience. Cool. That would put me at ease. (laughs) This compared to today where you need a bachelor's degree for about four years, a degree from a medical school, which is another four years, and then an internship and residency, which depending on what surgery they're going to specialize in, can take anywhere from another three to seven years. Mm -hmm. Obviously, a lot more hands-on experience. Yeah, it makes me feel a little bit better. There were four doctors who became known as the Big Four founding professors at Johns Hopkins Hospital. Hmm. William Osler, Howard Atwood Kelly, William H. Welch, and William Stewart Hasflin. They helped create the foundation for residency training programs to allow surgeons to get experience outside of medical school. Cute. Now, we are going to play a fun game. A game? A game. I'm excited for the game. So, I'm going to list surgeries, and you can guess the decade it was first done. So, like, Ooh, okay. for, I guess, let's say, first guess the century, 1700s, 1800s, 1900s, whatever. And then try to narrow, and then it, try down. To narrow it down by decades. Okay. Okay. First successful heart transplant. Heart transplant? Heart transplant. And they live. Yeah. I would say 1800s. No. Earlier or later? Later. 1900s? Yep. Okay. Maybe 1940s. Like, 60s. 1967. Oh, wow, okay. I had way too high hope for humanity. All right, that, help, that helps gauge me. <laughs> In South Africa, it took place. Although he only survived 18 de- days after surgery, he did survive the He's, initial surgery. That and counts. It took time to improve over time to patients living a year, two oh, years, 23 years. I guess I'm not surprised. 
It's a heart transplant. I like don't a know. whole human heart taken People from People do weird things. All right. All right. First human blood transfusion. Blood transfusion. Okay. And the first one or like where someone lived? It says first human blood transfusion. Okay. It didn't get any more specific than that. Let's see. I would say I'm going to go with like late 1800s, early 1900s. Way earlier. Way earlier? Mm-hmm. 1700s? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. 1760s. 70s. 80s. 90s. 1795. Really? Yep. What? Dr. Philip Singh Physic, although it was another 137 years before the first blood bank was created, and another five years before the first United States one opened at Chicago's Cook County Hospital. And he lived? What if it, how did they know it was like the right type of blood? They didn't. They just guessed and got lucky. I think there's, I'm not 100% sure when they were able to figure out blood typing, but blood typing was earlier than I think we realize it is. The yes. actual DNA was later, but blood type was a lot simpler. Ooh, okay. I didn't know that. Oh, I'm not doing very good in this game. Okay. <laughs> First, hand transplant. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, when wars were. You're never going to get the, get this one right. I'm just going to preface it that right now. I'm going to say never. One's never been done. How about this? I was... It was after I was born. Okay. I don't know when you were born. Um, probably maybe... I would say early 2000 then. Close. 1998 in Dang. France. The first time they attempted it was in Ecuador in the 60s, but it failed because it ended up being rejected by the patient's body. So when they did do it, like... They just put on someone else's hand or, like, a robot hand? Like, was it a real hand? It's hand transplant. It's a real hand. I didn't even know they did that. I didn't think they could get the nerves to connect. I don't know how successful it was. What? Uh, you can't not give me all the info. <laughs> Let me see here. Transplanted the right form of a brain-dead donor to a male recipient with traumatic forearm amputation. Ha! Real hand. Oh, my God. I would want a robot hand. You don't know where that hand's been. Mm-mm. It would look so weird. Last You'd one. You'd have different fingerprints. Oh, my God. You'd have different, You'd have finger different fingerprints. fingerprints. You could commit crimes. I mean, I feel like that would at least be, it'd be like, oh, this person's been dead. Oh, wait, this person had hand transplant surgery. I, I don't think it'd be very successful. You, you still you, could. You'd be better off burning your fingerprints off. But that's a topic don't for a different time. Don't burn your fingerprints off, kids. What's what's the next one? Okay, last one. The first baby born due to in vitro fertilization. Ooh. Um I'm gonna say the nineteen like eighties. Super close. I would say you won on that one. It was nineteen seventy-eight. Yes. It was Louisa Brown, born in Manchester, England. This has helped many people since then, obviously have families who yeah. wouldn't be able to previously. Alright, I got one right. <laughs> So is that a fun game? Did you enjoy that? Yes, that was. I learned some new stuff. Did you know why the chainsaw was first created? No. You told me you were going to give me fun facts. That was the fun... That was, I just wanted to make sure that you didn't already say them. Nope. The chainsaw was first created uh, for childbirth. I think it was a really small chainsaw. At least I could understand it. But still. Weird. Well, earlier, even when women were the ones who helped women give birth back mm-hmm. in early modern England, when... There was a situation that would recall for, like, the baby being 
forceps out or, you know, for C-section or something, mm-hmm. they would actually call these people called barber surgeons. Midwives weren't yeah. allowed to perform it. I heard, I it was a, it was a, it was a guild that was made up of like, it, they, it got created by a guild made up of barbers and surgeons that kind of mushed together. Mushed. All right, that wraps up the very basic knowledge of what took place in the history of surgery. I hope you enjoyed yourself. If you'd like more information about this topic, follow the link to our website. You can also find us on Twitter at YTAH Podcast and Instagram on Yes, That Actually Happened, or email us with that link on our website. Make sure you join us next week for our third installment of Odd Crimes and Mysteries in History. What will we explore next? I don't know. I'm so excited. I I don't think I've read the script for that, so I don't even know yet. We don't even know. We don't even know. Bye. (laughs) Bye.